Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. And those who are joining on the Temple Beth Am podcast at whatever time you're doing it. Rick, you're having something psychedelic happening on your on your screen. I don't know. I know. I don't know what it is. Last night, but uh, you should share it. Really, shouldn't you, shouldn't you be? Okay, um, we are uh, towards the very end of the second Aliyah of Parshat Vaera, uh, chapter six. Um, we read the verse, but not the Rashi on verse um, twenty-six, I believe. Or at least we didn't finish the Rashi's in verse 26. So let's read the verse to kind of get going, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Still haven't figured out the exact right setup for the mic, the book, the computer, the cake, the coffee. A lot of things to manage right now. Okay. Verse 26. Hu Aharon Umoshe. That kind of oddly um, hanging who. That very Aaron and Moshe, as if the antecedent in the previous verse we're referring to them, but of course the antecedent was not, and so we discussed how this is going back to the verse just before the genealogy began, uh, and that is uh, verse uh, uh, verse twelve and thirteen of the book of Exodus, when God is speaking to Moshe and Aaron and sending them to Pharaoh. The, ver- the Torah kind of picks up. Yes, that very Aaron and Moshe, Asher Amar Adonai Lehem, to whom God had said, Hotziu et Bnei Yisrael Me'eretz Yisayim, take out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, al tzivotam. And we discussed the interesting um, vocabulary of that phrase and the interesting structure. Atzava, atzari bet alaf, can mean a lot of things. An army, uh, a, a, a host, a gathering, and the al is often translated as upon. If we translate it as upon, knowing that it's never easy to take a one Hebrew uh, preposition and turn it into an English one, if we translate it as upon here, it wouldn't work so well, right? Who, who, uh, to, God had said to them, take out the children of Israel from Egypt on their hosts, right? What would be a better preposition if we were just writing the sentence in English? By, via, by means of, right? Something like that. So the, the, the al is strange. Um, and Rashi's also going to spend some time on the word tzivotam. Uh, Rick, you've, you've come, your screen has calmed down. So now you can talk. Go ahead. Thanks. Um, since you started with 13, um, when I was looking at stuff before class, the phrase El Paro Melech Mitzrayim that's all repeated coming up in 27. And then we have right after it again. So it's kind of like bookends. I just wanted to, I know you don't like to read ahead, but since you started with 13, it's the same words. Um, so anyway, that's all. Rick, you have feedback on your mic. Not from us though. I, we heard him fine. You didn't hear him well, Renee? was it was uh, making noise it happens every time all right rick it's not your fault um yeah renee i'm hearing static after you speak too but um i'm glad the class doesn't outside 
come back in person, including Sherry. I think that's what this is coming down to. Um, uh, so what Rick is pointing out is that not only is verse 26 both like a little bit redundant and also a non sequitur, so is verse 27. Verse 27 is is redundantly redundant. Um, with the names flip back, right. So let's let's hang out in verse 26, and then when we get to verse 27, we can link those two things together, okay? Um, any other questions on the, the, the words of 26 before we look at the Rashi? Stevie? Yeah, um, I don't think this is what it means in this case, but one possibility is that all can mean neged, right? All can mean specifically as opposed to opposition, and it does so in the earliest strata of Hebrew. Um, and that is, for example, one of the reasons that the Dead Sea Scroll uh, people thought that there would not be a Korban Tamid on Shabbos because it's right. All uh, is the is the the conjunction that's used in that uh, description of the sacrifices. Um, so it could be that Tivotam would be referring to the Egyptian armies. Good. So the last question I was going to ask us to consider before we look at Rashi, because I think Rashi does not read it this way, is who's the there in Altsivotam, right? Whatever the preposition. Welcome back, Stu. How was your trip to Israel? Oh, good. Yes. I just all of a sudden I saw you there. Um, uh, not only is the what the preposition all means, not only is the tzva referring to just a group of people or an army, but who's the them, right? Because the last phrase in the verses. But well, there are two antecedents to Tzivotam, B'nai Yisrael and Mitzrayim. So does it mean that God took them out via the Israelites' great throngs of numbers or took them out v uh, via, through, maybe against the Egyptian armies, right? Because Tzava could be referring to their, meaning the Egyptians, right? I'm wondering, I don't think, I haven't come across, far, I know, a single English translation of the Torah that suggests that the hosts could be anything other than the Israelite. I'll read you, um, I'll read you Everett, Everett Fox on this verse. Everett Fox says, um, that is the Aaron and Moshe to whom God said, bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their forces. I guess he's keeping it uh, ambiguous. By their forces makes you wonder like by meaning surpassing the Egyptian forces or using the, the force, the strength of the Israelites. It's unclear. What does Ari Kaplan say? Microphone. I need a microphone. Mike, he's a, is a mess. Is that what he's saying? Ari Kaplan says amas. Oh, en masse. Yeah, oh, en masse. Oh. But do the whole verse. Um, this is the lineage of Moses and Aaron, of Aaron to whom God said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt en masse. Right, so he's weighing in that whatever Al-Tzivotam refers to, it's the Israelites, it's not the Egyptians, but he's, he's sort of, um, he's translating it, not, not uh, literally, but sort of colloquially. And then yeah. I, th I think we said this last, I said this last week, he has a note and he says, literally by their armies or in organized groups. Yeah. Uh, I see a lot of hands. Let's do the, the E hands first. Rick, Renee, and then Rebecca, and then Diane. Hi, thank you. The Uncles, Hey Lehon, does that help? 
Does Unclus help us? What's a chayel, uh, Rick? Chayel is a soldier. Soldier, right. So what Unclus picks up on is that he's going to read it basically against Rashi, as we'll see in a second, or it's anachronistic. Rashi's going to read uh, Unclus. That sava can mean just a grouping. It can also have a military connotation, and Unclus reads it in a military way because chaylehon means their force, their, their, their military uh, gathering. A chayal is a soldier. Chayal is an army. Good. Uh, Renee? Saperstein says uh, legions. Legion. Tom. Yeah. And also, when you were reading the Everett Fox, there's a footnote that says that the term by their forces has a military ring and is used frequently in the Bible with that connotation. Yeah. Yeah. Can you all hear Renee? Okay, it's loud enough? Okay, good. Um, uh, Sherry, what did you add? I saw a note in there. When you say it out loud? I just quickly looked up also, and he translates it as their battalion, so agreeing with the military aspect. Right. Their battalions, and it's still unclear if the their is the battalions of Israelite, do the Israelite slaves have battalions, or somehow with respect to the Egyptian battalions. Um, okay. Uh, there were hands on, in the room, Rebecca, and then Diane, then Sue. So this verse has uh, Aaron before Moses in the order, just like at the beginning of this verse 20, it also is Aaron before Moses, because the focus here is on Aaron and his lineage, whereas back in verse 13 and probably other times, it has Moses before Aaron. Because we've just finished Aaron's lineage, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, R- R- Rashi will sort of... Um, We'll have a different way of understanding why and when Aaron and Moshe are mentioned in that order. Um, but right, the, the, the last lineage we heard of amongst the two of them was Aaron, not Moshe. Uh, Diane, microphone. I know it's clunky. I'm wondering about the word who. It's a, at the beginning of the verse. It's a really weird construction in English, too. You wouldn't necessarily say it is the same Aaron and Moses. These are, or they are, or right. some plural form. Oh, because the who is singular and Aaron and Moshe. Right. And, and yeah. who is, I mean, usually you don't use who for, um, for like a neutral it. Right. It's more like Elu, Eluha, Otoanashim, or something like that. And right. It's right. Weird. And then as uh, someone already pointed out, it's repeated at the end of verse 27, right? If we, if we peek ahead, because Rick's given us permission to do so, the beginning of verse 26 maps up against the end of verse 27, almost like a little bit of a chiasm. Who Aharon v'Moshe, and then ends, who Moshe Aharon. So how the who, haha, is being used here is a little bit strange. Uh, Sue. Well, there were, there were, um, there were certainly a lot more people than just the people that we're talking about. It was, there were Israelites and, and all of them were going to go. And so these, I think all of these people that we've been reading about now for a few weeks, they were, they were the military leaders that were going to organize the, the, the Israelites. So they were going to rely on these forces to organize their their people out but all these people that we've been talking about I, I think maybe this is just a reference that this is i mean we had to know about this one then that one about that one uh-huh. and this one 
so that because so that they're the, the millet they are the tzvotam they're the so the genealogy is not just to tell us where Aaron and Moshe come from, but to kind of help us understand who Tzivotam might be, right? The, 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 the extended families who may have represented the people who were, had some leadership in, the, in, that, in that group. Right. Interesting. Although some of the people that we mentioned are long gone, right? Uh, <laughs> which does, it, if you give the lineage of who they came from, it's, it, it certainly imparts some some kind of importance to legacy. Yeah, you know, like these these people are leaders and military leaders because their grandparents were this one and that one and that one and this one. But even even the notion of of the is, enslaved Israelites having military leadership stretch, stretch, stretches even the fantasy of the fantasy, right? That was exactly the question I was going to be raising. I mean, how can these slaves be based with military strategy? Yes, they could be hosts. Yes, they could be coming out. They can be going out according to their, to their uh, tribes. But to focus it on saying that this is a military, from being slaves to military is as you put it, a fantasy, Rabbi yeah. So Baruch Shekivanta, because Rashi is going to make both basically agree with that. Yeah, Leonard. So uh, the JPS commentary here answers that question. It says, troop by troop, the narratives employ military terminology for the organization of the Israelites during the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings. Thus, in Numbers one fifty-two, for example. It is prescribed that, quote, the Israelites shall encamp troop by troop, each man with his division, each under his standard. So they're just getting them ready for that. Yeah. The other thing I was going to point out was about the switching of the names between Aaron and Moshe. He's Kuni, uh, here to Sepharia, he says here that whenever Moses and Aaron are mentioned in the context of their respective ages, Aaron is mentioned first as he was the senior of the two. And the two brothers are mentioned in the context of their respective status amongst the people. Moses is mentioned first, as in verse 27. After all, Moses took out the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Hmm. Again, an another read of that that is, that is interestingly different than what we're about to read from Rashi, if we ever get there. Uh, <laughs> Sue and Stevie, I think, Barry, oh, do you have your hand up also? Of, oh, ye of little faith. I have great faith. Sue. Um, just one more thing about this. That, Sherry, the pace that, hasn't changed, just so you know, right? This is exactly what we, what we did in, in that room in Monroe in 2002. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, Sherry's from Monroe. Um, uh, Sorry, I cut you off. Uh, I, I think that um, even though, obviously, I, I think there's some, some obvious notion that they weren't organized in military troops and, and armed, you know, battalions of anything like that. Um, I, th I think that human beings, it's kind of a human condition thing that they have to organize themselves in some kind of hierarchy to accomplish something. Yeah. And, and they can't just, they can't just all, it's not a, you know, a mass Moses and Aaron, and then, phew, you know, it's a big free for all. It has to be organized or it will be directionless right. and, and uh, um, will, will quickly without any kind of natural hierarchy organize into, um, you know, combative situations. Right. And words have multiple meanings. So it is the case that biblically, including and modern Hebrew, the word savah means army. And it doesn't only mean army, right? I don't know about you, but when you're saying kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzvaot, at least in my mind, I'm not seeing 
the angels weaponized. I'm seeing them organized into groups, hierarchies or not. They're, they're what it's often translated as hosts, right? The God of hosts, right? That's an, it's a weird English word also, but like, you know, the, the, the God who has an entourage, right? Not necessarily a military one. So it can also just mean a gathering, and that's how Rashi's about to read it. Uh, Rachel, and then Barry, and then Stevie, and then anyone else. I've lost track. Just in terms of the notion that the Tzvaot are some sort of organizational structure, and what Susan said about hierarchical structure, I was thinking of the judges appointed by Moshe and Yitro, you know, several chapters in the future. Yeah. Um, and were there different hierarchies for different purposes? That's it to me, the the idea of a military organization for a bunch of people waiting to be freed from slavery is really kind of at, at cross purposes. The image doesn't set. Yeah. Yeah. Stevie, Barry. Um, if you skip ahead to chapter 12, verse 41, um, we have, it says, right, that they, after the 430 years there, they were in Egypt, which was numbered the verse before, and it was in the middle of that day, Yatsu called exodusted all of the armies of God from the land of Egypt, right? The, so this image crops up again, and then again at the, the very last verse of chapter 12, which is a verse that sort of in the text of the Torah sort of stands apart because it's uh, separated off as its own paragraph, verse 51. Which is, you know, the exact same as the verse we have here. Um, so, uh, in in the first of those verses, it's it's clear tivos Hashem, right? It's the armies of God, and anyway, the, the image of leaving Egypt by army, you know, seems to be a just part part of the narrative, however you understand it. Yeah, Tzivot Adonai is interesting and different than Tzivotam, because Tzivot right. Adonai suggests it's, that God already saw them as God's, you know, uh, God's entourage, God's military right. force. But that's not, but it's different than than their forces, right? And that's also the same paragraph that has the, whatever the, the phrase, uh, Erev Rav. Right. right. Same paragraph. Tzivot, anyone else have an association with Tzivot Hashem? particularly the way Stevie mentioned it. At least when I was a kid, I would get um, uh, mail all the time from the local Chabad's asking me if I wanted to join Sivos Hashem, because that was their like kids youth group, right? To be part of like the army of God. I think I still have my badge somewhere. Um, and then I found USY and then it was much better. Barry. So my, my, my sense is that there were a mixed multitude coming out. Um, the, the only organizational we have is their lineages, the family lineages, and uh, getting together for, uh, for the, the, the satyrs that they had to do uh, before leaving. They were organized by family groups. Um, it, it, but there was a, a huge multi-million uh, mixed multitude of people. At that, uh, they weren't, as it was mentioned, didn't get organized till in uh, a few chapters later by um, how they were situated in the, uh, in the pattern uh, by their tents. 
So at, at this time, it's it's it, it's a mixed multitude. It's it's not an army. Right, and maybe Al Sivotam is somehow like um, anticipatory of of the organized group that God is going to want them to be and, and expect them to be as they're driving through the desert. But they but but they aren't now, right? Um, but there's a lot of them, and that's another thing that's Savakamin. All right, Rick, last comment. They're going to read the Rashi. I was going to ask about seva, uh, meaning color, um, if that's a totally different uh, word. Sadi bet ayin. Seva, with an ayin is colors. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what about mitseva? Means turtle. What about mitseva? So there are a lot of turtles there. Col colorful turtles as in the Exodus. What's that? What about mitseva? Matseva, the root is yud sadi bet. Something that is stable, um, yatsav or natsav. So the there's a letter before it in the root. Okay, uh, Rashi, who Aharon v'Moshe. I don't think we read it last week. Um, who have we not heard from? We've heard from everybody today. Um, who would who would like who would like to read? Who have, who has not read recently? Leonard, please give him, him the microphone. This is the Rashi on verse twenty six. Yeah, we already read the verse. Um, okay, hold on. Who Aharon of Moshe? Ela sheh huzkeru lemala, sheh yalda yochevet Amram. Who Aharon of Moshe? Asher Amar Adonai. Uh, do you want me to continue or should no, I translate that? Okay. So those that were mentioned above, um, that Yochevet uh, bore Amram, uh, who Aharon and Moshe, what? These are Aaron and Moses. I don't understand what the point here. Okay. What was the next thing you said? Because that's not what I have. You don't have that in your Rashi? Asher. Interesting. Okay, so so let me break a few things down. First of all, when we first got to this verse, we're saying, what is this a reference to? We went back to the pre-genealogy, right? We went back to verses um, 12 and 13, right? If you go back to chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, on opposite sides of the Petucha break, Verse 12, I debare Moshe Lefnei Moses spoke in front of God, Lemor saying, Hein b'nei Yisrael lo shamu elai, Israelites did not listen to me, ve'echi shme'eni Pharaoh, how will Pharaoh pay attention to me, ve'ani aral sfatayim, I am circumcised of lip. Ve'edabere Adonai Moshe ve'laron, God spoke to Moses and Aaron, ve'etzavim el b'nei Yisrael, and commanded them regarding the children of Israel, the El Paro, regarding Pharaoh, Melech Mitzrayim, to bring the Israelites out from Egypt. So we were saying that this verse, who Aaron Moshe, is going to that. Going to that. Rashi is saying you had to do a double step. Rashi is saying that we have the genealogy. Once we were in the genealogy, we fleshed out the genealogy. But within the genealogy, we had verse 20, and within verse 20, we met Moshe and Aaron. Verse 20, by Yikach Amran et Yochebed Dorato, that Amram took uh, Yochebed, perhaps his aunt, that we discussed that before. Loli Isha as a wife, a tailor Lois, she bore to him. Aaron, Viet Moshe, Aaron and Moshe, Ushnech, and then we learn the, the lifespans of Aaron of, uh, of Amram. So Rashi is saying, in the middle of the genealogy they just read through, 
We met Aaron and Moshe. This is going to sound silly. And in case you thought they were a different Aaron and Moshe, in case you thought that there were many people named Aaron and Moshe in this generation, no, those are the same ones that we met earlier. Why Rashi seems, needs to say this, I don't know, right? I, 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 I don't know what notion he's trying to disabuse abuse us of. I don't think we would have wondered, oh, is this a random Aaron and Moshe that's not connected to the larger story? Or he's just trying to be somewhat apologetic for the text because the text itself is redundant. It's interesting, I think, going back to what um, Diana said, in, in this version of the Rashi that I'm going through, which kind of explicates Rashi, <clears throat> the who of the verse is turned into a haim because he's, he's, he's aware that Rashi might have been aware that the who is strange because the who is singular and it, and it should have been him, okay? Um, so Rashi, in, in his opening lines of this verse, is almost matching the redundancy of the verse because he's not saying something a whole lot that is new. He's just making sure we know, yes, that's who the Aaron and Moshe are referring to. Microphone. Except he, he writes Elu. So it's clear to him that the who is them. And I find it fascinating and bizarre that not a single commentator, at least that I've seen, and I've gone through almost all of them, say anything about the word who. Uh-huh. So the singularity of it, you meaning. Right. Yeah. So they must have all understood. It's something that's not clear to me. Yeah. Or clear clear to us. Yeah. They must have understood that's just that's just the way the word is used, right? Something, Barry. Yeah, on, on the singular, the who, the, the, it, it, it's it's the family structure that came out. The family structure. The, we went through all this. The, the ancestral structure came out. The other part is um, the, the redundancy of who th these two people are. The, the, these are not magic people. The, the, they're the sons of uh, Yehovah and Amram. They're 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 family people. That's, that's it. Yeah. And I think Rashi feels he has to explain the strangeness of who Aharon Umoshe. And so he explained it as best as he could, but it's almost as if it's better without explanation because it was because because we because we would have gotten that. But then Rashi says one more thing. So back to Leonard. And this is gonna disagree with some of the other give him the microphone. Um, this is gonna disagree with some of the other things we've heard about the ordering of Moshe and Aaron versus Aaron and Moshe. Uh, so there are places where Aaron comes first and there's places where Moshe comes first. Um, they're weighed equally. They're the equal. They're right. The same. So rather than Rashi trying to discern a pattern as to when it's Aaron first, when it's Moshe first, Rashi says, almost as if Rashi is making a, a commentary in the beginning, beginning of Shemot on the entire book of Breshit, don't try to look too deep into who's older here, who gets mentioned first. Sometimes Aaron is in front, sometimes Moshe is in front. They're both significant leaders. So a lot of hands. Elon, microphone. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm not sure. I mean, Rashi says that not that they're both significant leaders, they're equal significant, which, which I find uh, interesting and uh, perhaps a little odd because it is in anyone's mind other than Rashi's, are they equal yeah. in terms of their importance? I mean, are there other commentators that say, yeah, they're, they're the same uh, importance? 
Right. I, I think Rashi is saying that that the interchangeability of them in terms of the order in which they're mentioned suggests that the Torah was trying to say that both Moshe and Aaron are of, of equal significance in the story, even, even though the story does not seem to say it that way. Although we're about to see, um, as we get deeper into the Exodus story and the plagues, that Moshe takes a lead on many of them, but sometimes Aaron does. And Aaron and Rashi there will be, this will be months away, will have an interesting explanation as to when Aaron is the initiator of the plagues and when it's Moshe. But it's almost if he's setting it up here, don't be surprised, reader, as you get deeper into the story, and Aaron's running the show for a plague or two. You know, you, you know the end story that Moshe becomes the leader, but at least in this context, Aaron and Moshe, they're, they're one and the same, or they're, or they're equal to each other. So, well, <clears throat> it says that Kehad is kind of an interesting idea because if if we if we it's kind of that you complete me uh, thing like one without the other is is not a is not Kehad they 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 need each other for sure. But Jerry then, Maguire has never really been invoked on this verse before, <laughs> and I think it's deserving of a Shechiano moment. Uh, you know, okay, go ahead. Um, but the, more importantly, it, um, as we get further down the line, and Moses goes up the mountain, and Aaron stays down at the bottom and builds the leads the building of the golden calf. It leaves you thinking, uh, well, it leaves me thinking about this keechad idea, mm. and where that takes me is this like, um, you know, tension amongst every human being for their, you know, we we all have sides that pull us one way or the other way, but we're still echad. Hmm. You know, there's like, it's a duality of, you know, kind of thing set up in this, they're like one person. You yeah. need, and you need them both to move anything forward. Yeah. And there's also a tension, this is very far afield, but since you brought us there, let's see if I can say this the right way. No one is equal to anyone else. And yet somehow we're all equal, right? That, that's a tension in our tradition, right? The notion of our being created with Salem Elohim suggests that there, there, there is no hierarchy amongst God's creations, at least in God's eyes. And yet our individuality is such that there, there is no one of whom they, that could be said vis-a-vis -vis us that we are shkulim ke'echad because we're, 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 there, there is no oneness that between two people, right? There might be a lot of things that are shared. There might be um, shared skills, shared shared ways in which they share responsibility. But even, even if, you know, what, what's the system that, you know, systems, systems really, you know, need, need one, one person in charge, right? The two-headed snakes are hard. Um, even when you have a successful situation where you have two people who are invested with the same amount of authority or responsibility in a system, it's just not the case that they're really the same or they're judged by everyone as one because they each have different manifestations of, of character traits. So as much as Rashi is trying to say that the, that the, the way in which Moshe and Aaron are mentioned suggests that we should be considering them ke'echad, we know that, that in, within the story, there's no way that each of the people there's no way that the people who were interacting with them were schooling them ke'echad. They were interacting with Moshe in some ways and Aaron in other ways. Uh, Diane. So is, is Rashi suggesting that here the name order doesn't really matter, right? 
that's kind of the suggestion. And yet, if you think about name order of like Avram Yitzchak Yaakov, it's always the same, I think. Yeah. And Sarah of Karachalvalea is always the same, except there are those, especially now, who want to reverse um, um, Rachel Leah to Leah of Rachel because yeah. Leah was older. Yeah. Um, There's some versions of Sidarim that include the Imaot and the Amida, who Dafka included Sarifka Leah of Rachel, on the notion that if it's a kind of egalitarian feminist stance to awaken the characters of the matriarchs, it would be so weird and strange to perpetuate what the unfairness done to Leia by demoting her, we might as well bring her, bring her back into the position that she originally had. Right. It's a political statement. In mm-hmm. fact, right. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe it isn't true that name order doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Rashi might be protesting a bit too much here. Larry. We're going to see when we get to the next verse, the name order does matter, but I have to I have to, I have to go back to the over looking at these two verses together in the chiasm as that was called mm-hmm. a b b a yeah yeah the, the, here and I'm not asking you to examine too too carefully but we start off with Aaron and Moshe and we close with Moshe and Aaron mm-hmm. but and we start with who and then we move to a Haim. we start yeah but we have but we have a who before the Moshe and Aaron as well right. In any case, the point that I want to make is in the two pasukim, in the first pasuk, we're talking about the role of bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And if you were to ask the question, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt? The answer is Moses, clearly, even though his name is second in that verse. In the second verse, we're jumping ahead if you, we're talking about speaking to Pharaoh. Interesting. And if you ask the question, who spoke to Pharaoh? Not who, Haim. <laughs> but who spoke to Pharaoh? It was it was Aaron because yeah. Aaron was the one who was speaking, even though they're inverted. I can't explain it. I just find it to be interesting. Fascinating. Someone has said before almost the opposite of that. I forgot who it was. You're saying that in or no? I think something that you read, Leonard, suggested that that um, Aaron's mentioned first in some contexts, and Moshe's mentioned first in other contexts, I don't know if I forgot who you were quoting, Chis Kuni or something? JPS. And you're, Larry, saying, it's almost as if, given the context of each verse, they're, they're opposite from what they, you would expect given that context. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, let's finish the, ra- oh, Stevie. Oh, and Rosemary. Yeah, um, just that uh, these, the Rashi seems to be divided because uh, in the two because of who are on Moshe, but um, but uh, what we said earlier that uh, I forgot who said it that uh, Elu seems to right, Rashi's you know uh, inserting the word Elu there it says it seems to be addressing the plural versus singular nature of who, and then the end of Rashi here is saying you know uh, could be as one, not necessarily meaning equal, but as like a single unit, right? Uh, oh, right. so the who is, the who of Moshe Aron is kind of pushing the shkulim ke'echad also, that it's, yeah, exactly. they're right. a unit. Who, it, it is the Moses and Aaron team. Yeah. Interesting, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's Pshat on Rashi, and I don't know if that's Pshat on the verse, but I like it. Um, very nice. Okay, Rosemary. 
Let's give Rosemary a microphone. Yes. And all, all you Zoomers and Facebook Livers and podcasters, it's too bad you, you're not here to taste Rosemary's cakes, which everyone has been enjoying around the table. There will be a technology in the future where I could like smush a cake through the camera and it'll just appear in Washingtonville, New York, you know, reconstituted. Okay. Does she deliver? Does she deliver, Rabbi? What, Renee? Does she deliver? Does she deliver? I don't know. I don't speak for her. Yeah, you are close by. <laughs> Go ahead, Rosemary. Um, I was just looking at this as uh, the meaning. This is the beginning of Aaron and Moshe starting the trip and their responsibilities. And then if we go back at uh, Hazino, at the end, it's Aaron dying first and then Moshe dying after. And both of them, it's like, he died there, you die here, and it's finished. So uh, the Torah, maybe, I don't know, I don't have that much knowledge, maybe it's built on not having um, an important person, which is because we are, none of us are important, mm. just handful of earth so that's what is teaching from the beginning that moses aaron this and that doesn't matter the work is matters yes. and i think the who for me i don't know why it's knocking on my head who i elohim so hmm. saying you are going to free everything but finally it's him who is doing all yeah so nice. maybe who goes to elohim we kind of made a glancing reference to this before particularly on the heels of the book of Genesis and the way in which the book of Shemot is very different than the book of Genesis because right, we had a family, now we have a nation, and we had a family who kept running into trouble because of birth order, right? So it's almost as if um, the, the switching of motion, Aaron back and forth, and Rashi insisting against the other commentators that there's nothing to see here, right? The, 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 don't, don't try to read into this primogeniture or, or, or the opposite of primogeniture, it's just two brothers that, that could be interchangeable in order, even though literally, obviously, one had to be born before the other. You can't have two people born, even twins, at the same time. Um, let's move past Breshi. It's almost as if, you know, Rashi is inviting us to, to think that way as we look at this context. Okay. Uh, before Leonard reads the Rashi on Al-Tzivotam, I wanted to show you um, another place where the root Sava is used, and it's also ambiguous, and the translators read it in different ways. So hold on a second. Um, okay, so before um, Stevie had taken us to other verses where uh, Tzivot Adonai was referring to, you know, G God's troops, right? Um, here's a, 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 a less obvious or a, a verse in which the root is, is harder to figure out and is translated differently by different translators, which is, should not be surprised to anyone. So this is um, towards the end of the book of um, Shemot. It's actually a verse upon which there's some beautiful midrashim about what was going on here. But let's just look at the pshat. Vayaas et hakiyor. This is the constructing of the mishkan. So the 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 basin, the sink was made nechoshet out of bronze. Viet kano nechoshet, and the thing it stood on was made of bronze. Bimarot hatsovot. Be here's the be meaning with using a mare as a mirror from the root roe the thing which you know, you can, you know, you, 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 you see yourself. The, the marot of the tsovot, so the mirrors of some female group are referring to, being referred to as atzava, asher tsavu petach ohel moed. So the mirrors of the tsovot who were tsoving, tsoving, 
right? If we untranslate it, at the entrance to the, um, to the tent of meeting. So this is Everett Fox's translation. He made the basin of bronze, its pedestal of bronze, with the mirrors of the women's working force. So he's reading Tzava here as a workforce, not military. That was doing the work. He's consistent, right? Because the noun is Tzavot, the verb is Tzavu, and he makes them um, uh, match the working force that was doing the work at the entrance of the tent of appointment. And yet, look at... Uh, how do I get this out of my way? Uh, okay. Um, this is JPS, uh, sorry, Corin's translation. Same verse, obviously, in Hebrew. Uh, he made the laver of brass. It's interesting. Not a single word is the same, right? Laver is not basin. Bronze is not brass. Translation is so hard. And the pedestal of brass of the mirrors of the women assembling. The, the assembling is the most banal way of understanding tzava. It's just a group. It's a synonym for the root aleph samech pei. Asefa, a gathering, who assembled, so it's at least um, um, uh, matching, at the door of the tent of meeting. So if we had to like do a hierarchy of significance of what Sava could mean, it could just mean assemble, just literally a gathering of people. It could be a workforce, or it could be an army, right? And which one it means in our verse is not 100% clear, but um, keep that in mind as Rash, as we read through the Rashi. So the first thing um, that Rashi uh, says, uh, Leonard. Okay, so the first thing he does is translate an al into a ba, right? Um, the al, this is not a pun, this is not al as against, right? According to Rashi, it's just by means of, uh, you know, with, 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 with their assembled hosts. Go ahead. Okay, so before, before he, he's actually saying a couple of things in those three words, what do those words mean and what is Rashi saying? Every time you see the word tzava, it's a, it's a, means their tribes. Uh, I hear how you could read that that's what that phrase says. I don't think this call is in every time. I think he's saying that, first of all, what's the difference between sivotam, which is the word in the verse, and svaam, which is how Rashi renders it? What's the literal, the difference, the difference in the meaning of those two words? Sivotam and svaam. But it's not the same thing. One, one nation, one nation, it's one nation. So tzva'am, let, let's, let, let's choose an English word for tzva as a placeholder. Let's call it assembly for the moment. Tzva'am means their assembly. What does tzivotam mean? Their assemblies, right? So what, what, whatever they are and whose who's they are, is, is it one or more than one thing that is being referred to? So in the verse, it's their assemblies, their, their, their large groupings. And Rashi says, well, wait a second. If, if, if God, if, if Moses and Aaron are bringing them out, you know, as their macro grouping, that should be a singular. That should be tzva'am. 
So what he says is, Kol He brought out the entire, or they were going to bring out the entire assembly of the Israelites by tribe by tribe. And so he's explaining why it's Tzivotam and not Tzva'am. When we were looking at the verse, that didn't occur to us at all as problematic. We, we just thought it was like the hosts. But he says, if Tzva is referring to the entirety of the Jewish people, then it should have been Tzva'am. No, it's Tzivotahem. The way that the entire Tzava, the entire army of God came out was tribe by tribe, therefore Tzivotahem. Barry, or is that what you say? Okay. Good so far? Okay. Um, go ahead, Leonard. And I'm going to be bringing up some verses onto the screen here. Go ahead. One second. This is the Yesh. Yesh. Yesh Leonard Taish. Okay. Yesh Al Sheino Elabim Kam Ot Echad. Okay. What does that mean in English? There are the word all or the concept all that are only in the place of one letter. Right. It's so interesting he says it that way because he, he's referring to a specific letter. What's the specific letter he's referring to? B. I don't know why he doesn't say B, right? I know this is this may sound like really picayune, particularly for those who don't have this facility with Hebrew. He's saying sometimes the word al, which is a two-letter preposition, meaning on, upon, or against, um, is really just in place of a single letter. But the single letter he's referring to is B. I suppose it could be L. Yeah, but all the examples, but the examples he's gonna about he's gonna bring that I'm gonna bring on the screen, are seem to me pretty obvious that what is a better preposition there than Al is B. And even B, if we're just hearing this sentence, they'd be laughing. Even B can mean many things, right? B as as a preposition can mean on in by means of using and so he gives us a couple of examples so i brought the first one onto the screen so this is um uh, yitzchak's um uh, uh blessing or non-blessing to esav you shall live on your sword no he's not saying to esav that you're going to be like on it physically, you know, by it works in English. By the sword, using the sword, you will live. That's how it's translated here, at least by Everfrock, right? So that's an al that does not mean on top of. It doesn't mean upon. It means by means of. Even though in English, I want to be be clear. Sometimes I don't know how to say this well in any language, right? That by saying that al sometimes means b, um, we're if, if we try to turn that into English, our own use of prepositions might be differently interchangeable than theirs. But here, it clearly doesn't mean an on top of thing. Okay? Um, keep reading. Okay, so we have what you just read there. Wait a second. Yeah. Right, so he tells us explicitly that al should have been a b, which is why. He should have said before that sometimes al comes in place of not just generically a single letter, but a specific single letter, the single letter bet. Go ahead. It could have just as easily been a yeah. uh, Keep reading. Uh, okay, this is from the prophet Yechezkel, Ezekiel chapter 33, it's on the screen. Uh, he is uh, basically chastising the Israelites for living too much by the sword and not 
with enough faith, right? You you put your, you know, the phrase in Pesukah, you put too much trust in noblemen and in people who have no choice, no uh, possibility of giving, giving you redemption. You should not be relying on swords. You should not be relying on people. You should only be relying on God. That's the theme of this particular chastisement. You stood upon your swords. No, it doesn't mean that they like stood kind of waiting. It's that you, you, you stood up your entire society by means of swords. You've relied on your sword. See, here's the problem with the English because here the on in English works, but it works not on an al, it works on a b. I know that sounds strange. That's why the English sometimes is a problem. The problem that's actually JPS's translation. I wonder how Everett Fox translates that. Let's just see. I have one more word to go. What's that? I have one more word to go on the Rashi. I know. I'll get you there in a second. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, translations starts with a b. Uh, how does ever? Oh, Everett Fox doesn't translate Tanakh, right? So how does? Uh, Corin translate that one upon. So b both of our translations, unfortunately for Rashi, translate this all as an English upon, but it's not an upon that means on top of. It's an upon that actually means b. Okay. Um, not to buck and freeze within. Yes. It's a lot of things. Meh. Okay, Leonard. <laughs> So to finish off the Rashi, that 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 al that we just looked at in Ezekiel is also a b, even though it can be translated into English as an apan. Got it? Okay. Um, so that's Rashi on verse twenty-six. Uh, last questions, comments before we look at verse twenty-seven. Microphone. Sorry, I know it's I know it's frustrating. I know that Rashi likes to get off on prepositions. <laughs> well, you can even have your own explanation for what off means in that case, but in any case. Um, and I do, think, I do think we do Rashi a disservice when we try to translate. Yeah. We should just look at the Hebrew because he's trying to explain why the prepositions are different interior. Correct to internal to the Hebrew. Correct. So we should, in the, we should actually almost have a prohibition against trying to translate prepositions. I know. Except that not everyone understands the prepositions, but I hear what you're even, saying. Even, even in your native language, you often right. either don't understand them, or if you speak to someone from a different region or country speaking the same language, right. it can be different. Right. My, my question is, what was Rashi trying to do in the second Rashi? On verse 26, he's simply trying to explain to us why al-tzivotam could have been bitzivotam. Yeah, or bitzva, or why it wasn't bits, bitzvaam. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think, yeah, I think we can leave it there. Stevie. Yeah, the fact that Rashi's two examples are the same example that appears twice is kind of concerning to me. Like, it, it, it feels like it would be a stronger argument if there was a different verb used, or a different noun used, I mean, the, you know, than just sword on this. Me, and, me, and it, it even makes me wonder if, if Bechor uh, Becha is a word that exists in Tanakh, or if it's always Al Chor Becha, right? Like, right. Like, maybe the way they thought of 
living by the sword was using all in so, as like that was just the only word that they would ever use i i like off right. the top of my head i can't think of an example but right you know i haven't scanned all of tanakh but it, it, it does it does feel like a uh like an admission of a weak argument from rashi yeah what's the phrase that uh we smote them um, by the sword. So sometimes the charev takes a bet. But what I think you're asking us to consider is just as certain verbs take certain prepositions that go against translatability, right? right. The word lihishtamesh uses a b, even though you wouldn't think that the word to use uses ha, the, that translation, that maybe certain nouns require before it a certain preposition, in which case it's not, it's more an argument about charev than it is about what and, and, why give, does that mean? and why give an example that's the same example that appears twice and giving multiple examples? Yeah. Like Rick? Um, I don't know if it's interesting or not, but... Um, we'll find he, out. <laughs> of all the all examples he could have chosen in Tanakh, he chooses the two of them that have swords. And we were talking about the Tsivotam. Are they really an army with swords? I don't think so. They're slaves. They may have sticks. They may have rocks, <laughs> but I don't think they had uh, swords like that. So it's just interesting to me that he chooses the two that have swords in them. So anyway. yeah. Um, okay. Let's um, let's read verse twenty-seven, and then we'll start working on it uh, next week. Uh, who has a microphone near them? Uh, Barry, you want to read verse twenty-seven? We've already made reference to it, but now let's actually read it. Okay, translate as best you can. So, Haim, uh, they're the ones, they're the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Interesting. Um, uh, to bring Bnei Israel out of Egypt, uh, these are Moshe and and Aaron. Right. So, so twenty seven, particularly after the conversation we've had, seems redundantly redundant. Well, they're they're they're, they're co equals who spoke to Pharaoh. So they've been the, the who has been turned into a Haim. Moshe and Aaron have been switched at the end of the verse, and it it is even more of a repeat of verses uh, back in verse 13, where we were told about what they're going to do. And now the Torah is telling us, yes, these are the ones whose genealogy we've learned who are about to do the thing that God said that they were going to do. They're a co-equal unit. Yeah. So when we meet next week, we'll, um, we'll talk about, we'll talk about the Haim. Maybe we'll talk about a who, talk about a he and a she and an it. And we'll talk about Rashi's fetishes of the prepositions. Uh, have a good week, everyone. So nice to have you here to back again. I love seeing just the library behind you. Um, and uh, happy Wednesday, everybody. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.